0: We're continuing a series... Uh, that we've called Songs for Life. Not that everything in the psalms uh, are, not, all of, not every single psalm is a song. Uh, some of them are prayers, some of them are liturgies. Uh, if you're not familiar with that word, it's just the work of the people. It's the back and forth, right? We, we think that part of uh, worship is not just like enjoying the show, right? Uh, it, it's you participating in this. Like we're doing this together. And so liturgy would be the kind of that back and forth that you would you would hear. Uh, it, 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 but it's poetry, it's all these things, but there's a sense that it's Miracle, right? Uh, It's intentional, and so we call it songs for life because these are the things that we need to make sense of life. It's the things that we need to remind us of what's important to sustain us. The psalms do this amazing thing of uh, speaking to the whole of your being in a way that, man, I I don't know that anything else does. Uh, The Bible, two thirds of its poetry, isn't that shocking Uh, that it speaks to us in this very intentional beautiful way uh, that that makes you wrestle with the lyrics. Uh, And so we revisit this uh, series periodically. Uh, So we're uh, today in Psalm 32. Uh, It is one of seven so-called penitential psalms. That's not a thing that's in the Bible. It's just uh, people have talked about it this way for a very, very long time. Uh, These uh, repentance, prayers, uh, uh, these calls for change. It's, it's one of these psalms. It falls in this category. Uh, you know what? I'm just going to read it. It's awesome. Psalm 32. It says this. It's called A, a maskle of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit There was no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye on you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding which must be curbed with a bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked but the steadfast love surrounds but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice o righteous and shout for joy all you upright in heart. The goal of this psalm is to teach you can hear that right? David is teaching. He says, you know what? This is my experience. This is the thing that I've experienced. And so now let me teach you about it. So his goal is to instruct people based on his own personal experiences. Uh, So there's this situation, famously, that David got himself involved in. David was the king of Israel, the the anointed one. The Bible actually says he's a man after God's own heart. God calls him that. He's a man after my own heart. But David finds himself in this situation, he's king, things are going pretty good, and uh, he basically takes another man's wife and has the dude killed. That's the short version. Uh, it's pretty rough. And uh, he's king, he just takes what he wants. And In, in probably the second biggest mic drop in all of scripture, right? A prophet comes in and, you know, tells David this story about this man who uh, was rich and he, and he took from this poor man the one lamb that he had so he could throw a feast and David like gets red in the face and like irate and like starts yelling. He's like, who is this guy? I'll have him killed. And, and, and the prophet looks at David and goes, you're the man. And David realizes what he's done, you know, and it's the moment, but the first biggest, by the way, if you're curious, I would have to be the resurrection, right? Like nobody saw that coming. Uh, anyway, so he says like, you're the guy. So David is just like crushed. So Psalm 51 and this Psalm are kind of, I think, related. Psalm 51 is David's just weeping and, and just kind of like, it feels like it happened right after the event. David just saying, God, what are you going to do? Don't, 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 don't do this to me forever. I, I can't do anything to make up for this. What, what do I do? And it's just his weeping and weeping and weeping. My sin is ever before me is that psalm. This psalm feels like the sequel to it, like he's had some time to reflect. In Psalm 51, he says, God, when you have restored me, when you have shown me your salvation, I promise you I'll teach people how you are. I'll teach people what you were like. I'm going to explain to you, everybody, what you were doing when you saved me. I think that's that's this psalm. I think this psalm is David teaching us what he experienced and how to be. I think he is telling us the way. So in this, he starts off, uh, he, he's talking about forgiveness. So in this psalm, uh, it starts off this way. Uh, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts in iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So this, this blessed kind of formula in the Bible, it's not just like a nice... Phrase. It's not like a Southern, like, bless your heart, right? Like, it's not that. It's like an actual technical kind of thing almost. Uh, blessed in the Bible uh, has to do with this is the right way. Like, this is the way to flourishing. This is the way to experience life the way that God intended. It, the blessed life is the, is the way that you experience this deep satisfaction. It, it's, the, it's the good life. Uh, you could almost translate it happy right? But it's not, but it's deeper than happy because happy really is just about me. Blessed means it's not just me, but even those around me, right? It's an environment where God works out life the way it's supposed to be. So that's what this is. He's like, blessed is, blessed are, happy are the way that things are supposed to be. If you want to experience life the way that God intended it to be, if you want to this kind of contentment that he's promised, then this is the way it's experiencing. If you want to experience life optimally, the way that God intended it, I'm going to explain to you how to do it. I'm going to explain to you who is and who isn't. And that's, that happens several places. An example uh, would be uh, in the, um, the Beatitudes, in Jesus' teaching, right? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit." spirit. Like, that's the, the teaching. It shows up as this formula thing of like, this is the way to be if you want to experience the life, the way, optimally, the way that God intended. So that's what's going on here, is this him explaining the beauty of this, that it's a deep satisfaction. Psalm 1, actually the Psalms begin this way. Psalm 1 begins... Uh, uh, that uh, blesses the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. The Psalms are this heading of how to experience life. That live underneath the heading of how to experience life optimally, the way that God designed us to experience it. And so that's it. Now, here's the problem, though. Uh, the scriptures tell us that God wants us to bless, wants to bless us, that we want to, he wants us to explain to us how to live life optimally. The problem is that we humans tend to oh, either disagree about what is good, right? like I hear what you're saying, but I don't really want that, or sometimes even if we happen to agree with God on what is the good thing, we disagree about how to go get it. Uh, so let, let uh, 's think about relationships and, and the easiest one, although it applies to multiple relationships uh, uh, foundationally let 's talk about it uh, let 's talk about marriage this is probably the easiest one for me to explain what I mean uh, so the Bible says. If you want a marriage, to experience that optimally, that, that a relationship in which you feel safe, and in which you were loved, this is a gift from God. It's something that we want, and God says, yes, that's a, that's a good thing for, not everybody, but for, if you're married, this is the thing that I want for you. I want this, this flourishing in your marriage. And The Bible explains to us how to go about having that. We want it. God says, yes, that's a good thing for you to have, so here is how you have it, according to the Bible. You get up every single day, and you set aside all of the things that you want, all of the things that you've earned, the things that you deserve, the things that you could go get and have, you make all of those things, you set them underneath your spouse getting those things. I want to feel love today. I will set that aside to see my spouse love. I want to be, I feel like I deserve to be treated with respect. Set that aside to see them respected. It is setting aside the things that you could have for you to see the other loved, the other lifted up. It is a promising that on days that you don't love me well, I'll love you anyway. That is the way, according to the Bible, to a Optimal marriage, a rich, deep marriage. Instead, what our instinct is, to get up and make everything about me. I need this, I'm not getting this. If I had this, if you were like this, if you would do this, if she would do this, if he was like this, if I had that instead of this, then I'd be happy. Everything would be wonderful if I could just make everything about me. And that's how we do it. I don't know what I was doing. Was that a butterfly or the karate kid? I have no idea. I apologize. You see what I did? Like I attacked everybody's marriage and then made light of it with a Ralph Macchio reference. We want these things. And even when we agree on that, it's good to have, we kind of want to go about them our own way. But God wants this blessed life for us. So in Psalm 1, it says that the blessed life is for the person who follows the Torah and loves the Torah. God's law that's the blessed life. Psalm 32 is about it the blessing available to those who break the torah and don't love the torah. That's what's going on here. So it starts off by saying talking about sin, right? The transgression is forgiven and and, and talk, it's this sin language which we struggle with. Uh it's, you know, I don't it's, I have a complicated relationship with that word, right? Uh, with that whole thing. Uh, but the, actually, the psalmist three, uses three different words. He uses the word for transgression, which is kind of like shaking your fist at God, right? I'll not do that. I'll not follow your rules and your laws. He uses the word that kind of for sin in this first section that means missing the mark is generally what it means. Basically, think of it as like not living up to the bar, right? That's also sin. And then guilt is the kind of this broad term. Like you're just, you have failed a standard, right? And, and all of these things are sin. And the reason that we have a complicated relation is they, they all involve living up to some standard. And it's a, it's a violation of, of God's standard is, is, is what all of these things are pointing to, is that, that when you violated God's standard, when you have sinned, uh, and it's, a, it's an idea that we're trying to get rid of. I think it's an idea that would be helpful if we recaptured uh, because of well, it's just, it's a hum, it's human experience to, to go through these things. And, and I guess I've always thought of God, most of my life, I thought of God's rules as almost arbitrary, right? Like, oops, I said a bad word. I'm a sinner, right? Like that kind of like, why is that word a bad word and that one not? Or like, I, kind of these just rules that I have to like be really careful. And, and then sometimes you find out a rule you didn't know about. And like, you're like oh gosh, what do I do? And I, I kind of thought about it as just this, this list of things that like, yes and no to get in. But the Bible doesn't really describe it that way. As a matter of fact, you're talking to Jesus, and he says about, about the law, about God's rules, right? He says this. He says, basically, let me sum it up in, these, this, in this way. It's really, everything's built off of these two things. One, that you have to love God with everything that you are, and you love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. So, so then breaking God's law, then, is breaking one of those relationships, right? Doing something to damage your relationship with God, or doing something to damage your relationship with others. And then all those other rules, like don't lie, like don't cheat, don't steal, those are all about us damaging those relationships, right? It's it's not so much about me just busting up a rule. It's me poisoning the relationship. It's me poisoning my own soul, corrupting the environment in which relationships can exist. It's not arbitrary. It's, It's real harm Caused by these things, it's not just kill joy God's just not a killjoy trying to break down lo- rules. It's, it's it's truly. Let me give you an example. Let, let, let me just do it this way. Um, so I've heard people say this argument before. Uh, I heard this r- article written about this that said that um, what's the big deal about pornography? Who's it hurting? Right. And, and the idea being, hey, what I do in the privacy of my home, how does that affect anybody? Right. Hey, you know what? I looked at the wrong thing. Big deal. Why is that a sin? Well, we, we know a little bit more now about the way this all works. Uh, science has told us that actually it rewires the uh, pleasure centers of your brain. It, it teaches you to want unrealistic things. And so actually, there's actually real damage that happens when we get hooked in those loops to relationships. You no longer can have the same relationship and find the same satisfaction in a relationship that you could before. We, we know that now. That there's actual real harm in a marriage that is caused by that. And not only that, if there's real harm in the marriage and there's tension in the marriage, you, that of course affects kids, right? So now this me just looking at a wrong thing actually has a generational impact. But okay, that's here in me, but we also actually know now that some of these networks actually support trafficking. Not only that, it turns out that despite some of the glamorous reports, it turns out it's not such a great life for people involved in that. So, Our participation in that now is damaging someone that I've never met, using them for my own personal pleasure, damaging relationships here, damaging my heart, my relationship with God, but I kind of want to think about it as just looking at the wrong thing. But it's, it's relationship poison all around. It's dehumanizing. All around, so it's not just that we have transgressed God's rules in the sense of like, oh, I didn't even know that was a rule, mama's sake. It's like, hey, you've hurt people that God cares about deeply. Is it any wonder He hates sin? And so that's what's happening when He talks about it. when we talk about these things. this, hey, you know what? I want to think about, it's like, I just lost my temper and got angry. No, I damaged a relationship that now has to be repaired. Someone bore the brunt of that. My kids saw us fight. Now, it's a generational thing involved in this. You see what I'm saying? Like, we think of them as little things, but when you step back and break it down, it turns out probably to be a relationship nightmare. Either affecting my relationship with God or my relationship with others, but by the way, those are tightly, clo- those are tightly knitted together, so probably both. That's how the Bible thinks of sin, is us poisoning everything. <laughs> So uh, that's what he's talking about when he gets into this stuff: is real, pain, pain, real damage and real pain. So, like, what do we do about it? Like, what can be done about it? Now, here's the deal: I think this is something that all humans experience, right? I don't think this is just like a Christian thing. Uh, all humans experience the idea that we violated or transgressed against some standard. And we don't know how to talk about it. And we think sin is such an old, uh, it's just an old word. And that's just an old idea. And just imposing this rigid morality on people is so unhealthy. And I'm like, right, yeah. But what do you do when you walk around feeling like you have failed? When you haven't lived up? When you're not a good person? What do you do if you don't have the concept of sin? I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's a thing that genuinely concerns me. I think probably you follow the same patterns that everybody else follows in sin, right? Typically what we want to do is we either, we want to hide or ignore it, right? Adam and Eve, right? First thing, the oldest one, the real old stories, right? First thing they do when they sin is what? They go and hide, right? The one who created everything probably won't notice. <laughs> That's what we do, right? So there's this tendency to go hide or to ignore it because I think sin blinds us to the great damage that it causes. It keeps uh, it it away. It isn't a problem. And we think we can manage it, right? It's not a big deal. And so we want to hide or ignore it. Uh, Another thing that we tend to do is to explain it away, like, you know, blame other people. Uh, I'm this way because of how, of the trauma that I face. And hey, you know what? I'm not saying that doesn't contribute, but at some level, like, we still have to deal with the consequences of us causing damage, So we want to explain it away or blame it away. You know, like I get in here and I heard, you know, I was in Tampa this week working with an engineering firm doing some some consulting and the night before, uh, uh, Sunday night before I was going to go in there Monday and meet with some of the teams, uh, I looked at the owner of the company and I was like, hey man, uh, there's some, I, I, tomorrow, and he goes, I know what you're about to say. It's okay. Go ahead and do it. I was like, no, I mean, he's like, nope. It's why we brought you down here, I'll deal with the relationship fallout. (laughs) Because he knew that I was going to go in there and hurt people's feelings and make somebody cry. Like, that's just what I do. Like, when I get to go and I get to working hard. Like, I just I don't worry about the consequences. I just need the thing done. And at the end of the day, somebody's got to deal with the fact that I've hurt everybody's feelings and damaged all this stuff, right? It's just how I am. And my excuse is always, well, it's just how I'm wired. I'm an Enneagram one. Like, everybody has to deal with that. Nope, nope, nope. That's not an excuse. I have to actually deal with the things, the people that I hurt. I, by the way, I, I did okay. I didn't, nobody cried this week in front of me. Um, The other thing that we'll do is we'll compare. Well, yeah, I do this and this and this, but I'm not that bad. It's not like I'm, it's not like I'm doing that. So we do that to make us feel better. We like to also like to set our own standards. Hey man, this is my standard. I haven't really that's your standard for what's right and wrong. This is my standard for what's right and wrong. So you know what? You don't worry about, you don't worry about what I'm doing. And I'm not going to worry about you. So we like to set our own standards and then, and then mask the pain uh, with pride. Another thing that I think that we do is we try to make up for it. We try to pay it back in some way. If we feel bad enough about it, maybe that will make it right. If I feel bad, here's the thing though, is like I've never felt bad enough to fix anything. But we do that, we'll beat ourselves up about it. Christians do that too, just like feel guilty and guilty and guilty and guilty and guilty and guilty over and over and over again. But here's the thing, feeling guilty doesn't fix it. So what then does? And according to this, according to this great, great poem, that when he kept silent, his bones wasted away, groaning all day long. This is huge, just beginning to end. Day and night, all the time, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. This is what sin does, whether we realize it or not, the weight on us the damage of the relationships weighs on us whether we realize it or not and this is what he says in verse 5 i he decides i acknowledge my sin to you i did not cover my iniquity i said i will confess my transgression to the lord and then this great this great line and you forgave the iniquity of my sin so what do we have to do confess like we have to Confess, feeling bad, beating yourself up, making excuses. None of that works. None of it will fix it. Ignoring it, bearing our head and saying does not do it. What is required is confession and back to verse two without deceit. Honest, open, not making excuses, not make, not evading, but open and honest. I have transgressed against you. So it's not like, hey, God, I looked at the wrong thing. It's, hey, God, I disregarded the relationship of my marriage that you gave me, the impact of my family, and the humanity of the person that I was looking at. I disregarded that and put my own pleasure above all those things. That's a little bit different, isn't it? Here's the deal. That feels so heavy and like, oh, gosh. uh." According to this, it's good news. (laughs) According to this, it's good news that when we confess God is faithful and just to forgive us. When we come to him and say, this is what I do, this is what I'm like, this is what I've done, the Bible says that when we come to God as followers of Jesus, when we come to him, that he forgives us. He said that the the words that are used, the metaphor used in the first two verses are the transgression is forgiven, it's carried away. And the other one that's used is it is covered. My sin and my guilt are covered, so they cannot be seen any longer. Or another way to think about it is like a bill paid. The debt's been covered. The price has been paid. And he says this is all done, and here's how you get it. Here's what you have to be and how you have to be to get it. Oh, wait, it doesn't say that at all. It just says he does it because that's what he's like. This is the whole grace and mercy thing that we talk about all the time, that God does it not based on what you've earned and what you deserve, but he does it because this is what he's like. He does it because that's his nature. He longs to give grace and mercy. He is patient and his kindness is unfailing. It is given not based on what you deserved, but on his nature. So, so, Here's the thing, though. Confession like this only works uh, under two conditions, right? If I confess that I have transgressed a line, right? I've crossed the line. I've done something that wasn't, uh, wasn't supposed to do. I, I've violated some moral or religious standard. It only matters if I confess to the one who's, it, the, who set the standard, right? So I have to go to God and confess, like, I violated your standard. This is why David can say in Psalm 51, it's against you and you alone I've sinned. And I'm like, really? Because is dead and Bathsheba's pregnant feels like you kind of stand against them. But what he means is, it's your standard that I violated when I did those things and now we're all paying the consequences. So it's against God's standard and the one whose standard you transgressed has to be willing and able to forgive, to absorb the cost. Because here's the thing, when there's relational damage, there's always cost. When there's damage, there's always cost. You know this, right? If you came to my house and knocked over a lamp and I said, no big deal. Don't worry about it. i got this. Like, let me give you 20 bucks. Nope, that lamp was not even, didn't even cost that much. My wife definitely got it at the dollar store. Do not worry about it. And then you leave. E- either I got to go buy a new lamp or sit in the dark, Right? Like, somebody is paying the cost of the damage. This is true in relationships. When, so, when you forgive, there's a reason why it's hard to forgive. Have you ever been wounded so hard, deeply that you, that you can't forgive? That you find, find it difficult to forgive? Or for, let's just slow down and start that sentence over, all from the very beginning. Have you ever been wounded so deeply that you found it difficult to forgive? Or you finally got there, but it took you years to get to the place where you could forgive? Why is that? Because you felt you were owed. You felt you were wounded in a way that was unjust and you were not willing to absorb the cost. That's why you wouldn't forgive. I don't know how David knew this. I guess it's revelation, but we see it perfectly in the picture of Christ. Why did Jesus have to pay for my sin? Why did he have to go to the cross and die? Because there was a cost. For all of the relation, for God to say, "I forgive you," not based on what you've done, not that you've made it up, but I will make it up. What did God have to do? He had to absorb the pain himself. That is what the cross is: God absorbing our half of the broken covenant, the damage that we've inflicted to, against each other, against the world, against Him. All of that pain. He says, "If you will come to Me, if you will stop covering it up." I will cover it up. That's what he says. i hid my sin no longer. I didn't cover it up anymore. And you covered up my sin. Uh, In Romans, Paul reflecting on this. in, In Romans 4, he says, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, talking about this verse, this, this psalm. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And then over in chapter 7, just a few pages later, he explains how this could be. Verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I've done all of these things, is what Paul is saying. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of my sin. Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How can this be? Who will deliver me? What will I do about the transgression? What will I do about my guilt? It's been done for me in Jesus Christ. Now the consequences of living this way, right? I just, I just kind of want to be like, oh, that's great news. Like, Jesus, is, I'm all sins are forgiven, everything's covered, so it's good. The consequences of really understanding this are tremendous. One of the things that blows me away about the psalm is the depth of the relationship. David recognizes that his relationship with God is broken, and he describes it as groaning. He describes it as night and day just being broken. His bones, the very structure of his physical being, feels just like cracked pottery. That happens on a, on a personal level, right? If someone that you love deeply... Right. If that relationship is, da- if you damage damaged that relationship, if someone who's just loved, if you accidentally kicked your mother in the face, I don't know what it was, I don't know what it was. If something, somebody, you're like, oh, I feel terrible, right? Like you feel like, you could, and they wouldn't forgive you, like it would, it would break your heart. It would weigh on you. It would crush you. Hey, when I was growing up, uh, rock and roll was like very anti-establishment, right? That's how it was. Uh, that was kind of the beauty of rock and roll. It was like, you know. They refused to show Elvis's hips on TV. And that was before me. I'm not that old. Calm down. Uh, but like later, like it was like Zeppelin and Hendrix is all like very like anti-kind of like the man, right? So imagine my how deeply upset I was when I heard Zeppelin on a crest Cadillac or Cadillac commercial. I was like, what in the world is happening right now? Zeppelin on a like so here's Or like look, I I didn't love that. Bob Dylan did a car commercial. He's Bob Dylan, man. Like, I'm not buying a Lincoln. What are you doing on a car commercial, Bob Dylan? But here's the deal. Uh, I don't feel like our relationship was damaged. Hey, we don't have a relationship. Like, we're so far removed. Like, I didn't stay up late at night thinking about it. I'm not hurt by that. Or if you're a boss, like if you work for a big giant company, I worked for a big giant company one time, and like I like I would get mad about how things were at the company, but like I never felt like my relationship with this guy who I'd never met, who had you know the CEO, was somehow damaged. I didn't know him. I think sometimes we think of God that way, like the CEO of a giant corporation, someone you've never met. But that's not the picture that David paints. The picture that David paints is of a God who desires such an intimate relationship with you that when you wound him, it breaks your heart. That you see him as desiring, wanting a relationship that is so intimate that when you realize that you have wounded him, wounded the God of all creation, and the Bible speaks of it that way, that you can break God's heart, that that affects us. So then we go about living our lives. It's corrective, right? If you're like me, like I have no problem when David's like, my sin is ever before me. That's who I am. Like if it was up to me, To just program the entire service, it would be basically confession from beginning to end. Like, that's just me. I'm just wired that way. I can't let it go. I did all these terrible things and I'm a terrible person. Like, that's not good though, because there's all, like, the Bible's also full of, like, praise God. Like, we should do all of the other things that we do, right? Other people, not that way. We're wired differently. So it means this. It means if my sins are forgiven and that I confess that God forgives me, I no longer get to carry those anymore. The debt's already been paid by another. I don't get to carry that anymore. I don't get to beat myself up about it anymore, as if it's still mine. It isn't. Also, if you're one that just walks around going like, "I don't really sin. I make little mistakes here and there," it's stopping and recognizing that that's not true at all. Not according to the Bible. According to the Bible, the damage that we, the relational damage that we cause between us and Him and between each other, He takes very seriously. Why? Because He loves those people that we've hurt, including us. So, living in light of this reality. You want to live life optimally the way that God intended to experience that kind of flourishing, but not just flourishing, but never flourishing at the expense of others, right? Never at the expense of flourishing, because that's not real flourishing. But true, optimal living, confession is a part of that. Confessing to God who we are, driving to the core of the damage that we've done, admitting that this is who we are, and then also living out of the reality that according, because of what Jesus has done for us, we live forgiven. Unbelievable. This is a necessary step. So here's what you do. Turn. There's real danger. It talks about here, there's this amazing verse that says, um, uh, uh, that uh, turn to him, offer prayers at at the proper time in the rush of great waters. uh, They shall not reach him. Uh, I don't think this is ever saying that there's going to come a time uh, when God will stop reaching out to you. I think it's saying if you get far enough down that river, there'll be a time that you stop, can't even think about reaching out to him. So turn, man. If you know that there's sin, turn, confess, stop covering up. He will forgive you. You're doing yourself damage. Here's the thing that I read, I wrote down, it's so good. He would not be humbled by, he who would not be humbled by the confession of his sin will there, will, will then be humbled by the weight of God's hand. In his attempt to spare himself by hiding, he was guilty of the worst cruelty to himself. If we continue to hide, continue to hide, continue to hide, continue to hide, the natural consequences of our sin and God, if you belong to him, his pressure on you, that's way heavier. You're doing great damage to yourself if you just, just confess and know that He, without guile, without deceit, and you will be forgiven. Here's the most amazing thing. That debt that is owed for sin, it was paid before you even sinned. He loves you that much. It wasn't like, oh, well, you did it again, so I guess I have to cut. No. Because I love you, because I desire you, because I want relationship, I, he comes and he pays the price. It is covered. Confess and receive that forgiveness. That is what is part of it. I think it's one of the things that ails our age. We don't know what to do with all of our failings and all of our shortcomings in the modern world. I wish we would listen to this ancient reality confession is really a beautiful thing. You want to know what it's like to live a blessed life? Experience the grace of God and mercy through confession. That's how to live optimally. That's one of the ways that we live optimally. That is beautiful. We're about to come to the table. Uh, we're going to move it down here, the elements, the, 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 the bread and uh, the juice that represents the wine. Uh, uh, we'll move it down here. That, what this is, is it's, it's for people who confess, It is the sacrifice, the body broken and the blood spilled, that covers our debt. It is this experiential moment when we come together as a family to experience a family meal, knowing that every single person in this room owes a debt that we cannot pay, but was paid with the body broken and the blood spilled. It's one of the reasons we do this, this tiny little drama that we get to participate in each week. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to come to the table together. Uh, Father, thank you that, man, what wisdom exists in your word, that you've written songs and poems and given them to people that we can sing them, that point us to these deep, deep realities, these deep, deep truths, that this is something we need. We humans, we have not outgrown the idea that we've fallen short, that we have screwed up, and what do we do? We have consequences, yes, but there's forgiveness in you. I mean, who else can forgive the ones who have wronged us except for forgiven people? So to know that we are forgiven is critical to live in these relationships, to forgive those who have wronged us, to ask for forgiveness when we've wronged others to live this optimal life, to live this flourishing life that you have made us to live in the middle of enemies, and trying to tear all that down. So as we come and we participate in this uh, Lord's Supper, this communion, this meal, um, the body broken and the blood spilled that we may have life, convict us. It is a meal for sinners. It couldn't be anything else but it is for followers of Christ. So as we participate, change us. Meet us in this moment with uh, grace. Assure us of your grace and mercy. Uh, May we experience your grace and mercy as we take the elements, being reminded that this is what sustains us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.